Welcome to Executives Unpacked, bringing you inspiration from the boardroom. A series of interviews with key and senior executives from throughout the content media, satellite and news space, connectivity and cybersecurity industries. Brought to you by Newco Global Executive Search. Welcome to Executives Unpacked. I'm John Clifton, co-founder and director at Newco, and we're delighted to be joined today by Marco Tinareno, CEO at Eurovision Services. Marco has been in the broadcast industry for nearly 25 years, starting out with Globecast in an IT and data role before joining Arkiva in their playout group, spending eight years with them, latterly as their head of sales for digital cinema. From Arkiva, he joined Encompass, initially as their SVP commercial sales, before being promoted into the MD role for Amir, and then also taking on the responsibility for APAC. In 2018, he then became the CEO at Eurovision Services. He's a man who believes that ambition matters more to success than talent, finds those that moan particularly irritating, and whose childhood aim was to be a Californian highway patrol officer, more specifically, Poncherello from Chips. Welcome to the show, Marco. What an intro. Thanks very much, John. Pleasure to be here. So our new series, Executive Unpacked, is all about giving our listeners deep insight into some key leadership learnings. But before we dive into those core questions, um, I always love to go back to the beginning and just ask what led you into the industry that you're in? And specifically for you, what led you into the broadcast industry that you've been in now for, as I say, nearly 25 years? Um, Well, look, the the, the journey is never kind of straightforward I guess that's probably true of most people right because when you're a bit younger I'm not sure that you know exactly where you're going but I was a nerd Uh, and so I did computer science at university uh, University of Reading and uh, that was a bit too geeky so I spiced it up a bit with philosophy so major in computer science with a minor in philosophy and so when I came out of university I ended up um, kind of wanting a corporate IT job is what I convinced myself I was going to go and do And I tried a few things and then ended up as IT manager uh, at Globecast. And it was really looking after their corporate IT, you know, and it kind of as brilliantly mundane or exciting, depending on how you look at it, as looking after servers and desktops and uh, and making sure email was working and and all of that kind of stuff. Um, But it was at a time when kind of the satellite world was starting to do more and more than just your traditional um, TV, radio broadcast. It was doing more data, file delivery. And so these boxes were turning up that, you know, traditional engineers who didn't have IT backgrounds in were kind of going, well, what do we do with this? What's an IP address? Kind of, you know, not really wanting to take ownership of it. And so the question came, hey, Marco, uh, any chance you can help us out with this? And it really was that kind of a conversation. Was like, yeah, sure, no worries, I can help that. And so suddenly, along my, alongside IT came kind of developing some of these new services for file delivery at the time with Globecast. And before you know it, you're developing solutions and software and managing a team. And so so started the journey into ultimately providing services to kind of the broadcast and data um, environment and moving more and more away from IT. And it was really the transition then into Arkiva, really. Uh, So I actually joined it before it became Arkiva. It was in media before it became acquired. So I had IT for all of about six months. And then this big company called Arkiva came along. They had a big IT department. And so I went, well, look, don't worry about IT. You lot do that. I'll look after the play out and the data services. And goodbye, IT. And it kind of became then more about service management and yeah. managing teams and so on. So I went from geeky nerd to service provision and, and management in a 
pretty short amount of time. And I can tell you now, it wasn't planned. It's just one of those things. Yeah, wow. And, and did you have any, I guess, sort of concept of what you were getting into in terms of being a part of the broadcast industry when you first joined? Or was it just perceived as a corporate IT role no. that so happened to be in broadcast? No, it's a, it's a great question. And, and, and I know it wasn't because I wanted, I knew anything about broadcast or was heading in that direction. I remember the first couple of days when I joined our um, uh, Globecast, I was in the office and um, I joined in, in beginning of 98 and Diana had died the year before. And I remember, I remember being in utter shock one day when kind of the people in the office were going, oh, it was great when Diana died. We had kind of a bumper year. And I was like, what sort of sadistic bunch of lunatics have I joined here? Now, of course, they weren't celebrating death at all, but it was, the point was, when you deal with media and news, you know, the news stories generates activities. Yeah. So it was a bit of a rude awakening and, and, and to the whole industry. And then, of course, as soon as you get into it, you realise what an incredible place it is when you do some pretty spectacular transmissions for some pretty spectacular brands. And, and so kind of, no, didn't know what I was joining at all. It was between that or a pharmaceutical health wellbeing company. I had two job offers on the table, choose left or right, and I picked right or wrong, I picked uh, Globecast for the journey well, into the media world. I think you definitely picked the right one. I think so. Um, so, uh, so no, look, fantastic intro. So, so let's kick off with the first of, of the um, six core questions. So um, what is the biggest lesson that you've learned during your career? Um, I, th I think as you, as you go through your career, um, you realise that the road, the road to doing the right thing isn't always easy in that you always want everything you do to be a, a success and be great. But the reality is, if you think that's gonna be the case every single time, then you're, you're absolutely deluded, that's impossible. So the main lesson that I think I've learned over the years and I'm still learning is it's okay to fail. Uh, and and by, what, by what I mean is like, it's never great to fail, but it's, and it's a painful lesson, but you have to be comfortable with that because you are going to fail. Um, and, and if you if you embrace that and kind of go, look, I'm, I'm not sure that this what I'm about to do lead to success or failure, but I'm OK to do it, knowing that both outcomes are possible and that I'm OK with learning from whatever failure might look like. Uh, I think that's a really important lesson. And, and the reason I say it's an important lesson is because if you don't have that attitude, it will block you from trying stuff. Um, and I learned that I learned that the hard way, actually. Um, and, and so you know, if you really reflect on what you've, where you've learned most and where you've developed most, I think you ask 100 people and pretty much most of those, if not all of them will say, when I've messed up or when I made a mistake or when I failed, you know, that's when I've developed the most, that's where I've gained the most. And, and I think if you're scared to fail, it's going to shut you down in taking opportunities and trying stuff. And I think for me, that's a, been a massive life lesson. It's kind of really helped me think differently about taking on opportunities when they present themselves. Yeah, that's fabulous advice, and no, I I completely agree. And um, and and on that, you know, is there something, or what do you wish that um you'd perhaps been told earlier? Um, well, I've been pretty fortunate in in my career, and I've always been kind of had great bosses and great colleagues, and so good advice around me. Um, what I wish I'd learned earlier is it. it it's very easy just to meander through your career without any objective, going from job to job just because it's a job. 
Mm -hmm. um, and and so one of the things I wish I, I kind of discovered earlier than I even I did was well, what what do I want to do with my career? Where do I want to go? And, and it's like difficult. That's really hard to answer, actually. And it takes time and energy and you really have to reflect on it. I was really lucky to be when I was at Arkiva, we had a, a mentoring scheme and they, they brought in an external guy who was an ex-professional wrestler. And he went super deep, super early in kind of some of the coaching sessions and, and flushed out of me stuff I just didn't know was in there. And it was real kind of awakening of, yeah, you know what? Actually, uh, there are things I want to do. There are things I want to achieve. I hadn't really thought about it. And you know what? Yeah, there are steps that I'm going. If I want to go there, there are steps I'm going to have to go and take. So I wish I, I wish that light bulb had gone on earlier in my career. You really know, need to know what you want to do and, and how you're going to get there. Because mm. Otherwise, you're just going to meander around that. And it's not to say it's wrong to meander around. But I think if you do have aspirations and there are things that you enjoy doing, you miss you miss the potential opportunity of knowing what they are and going and doing them. So for me, working out, I wanted to be kind of a leader, have my own business or lead a business. I mean, it sounds stupid, but it was a real light bulb. I remember the room. I remember everything about that moment and when he asked it. And, and it was a real light bulb moment. And, I, and it was great. Just wish it happened earlier. Hmm. It's so difficult that, you know, and I think particularly for youngsters growing up, how on earth do you know what to do, how to do it, what's going to, you know, inspire you and so on? Because, you know, everything kind of careers perspective when you're at school, or certainly from my perspective, it, it, it was, <clears throat> I think, well, probably less than useless. Um, and so it's really difficult. But it's also great to hear that there was a moment, an opportunity in your career where, yeah, actually, your employer had someone involved that that you know gave you that moment. That's really great to hear. Yeah, I think it's, look, the the key here is if you think you're going to sit in, sit in a room and it's going to magically spring out in your head, it's, that's pretty unlikely. The point is, I think you just need to put some energy and time to constantly thinking about that through your career and being able to talk to someone, um, a mentor, a boss, a coach, whatever it is, you know, a recruiter. You know, you, you know that sphere really well. And just being open and honest about, you know, what is it that really drives you and, and exploring that? Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's the key to doing it. it is certainly been my experience. So, um, but yeah, there you go. Great. And, and you touched on it a little bit there in terms of um, in terms of people. So I was curious to know whether during your career, whether there was either a thing or a person that's had the biggest influence on you. Um, I think, I think a couple of things. Number number one, it's going it's to come back to failure. Um, I had a boss. I won't, I won't name people and I won't name companies, but I had a boss where he clearly had to have a difficult conversation with me. I was failing. I was in in the detail. I wasn't delivering, and it wasn't for lack of effort. It was just an experience thing. So two 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 kind of really important moments come out of that. Number one. You never want to hear it, right? You never want to be told that this isn't going well. You're not cutting it. We're going to take this part of what you're doing away from you. It's like, you've got to be kidding me, right? I'm working every hour God sends. You know, you start, you go into defensive mode, which is trouble sign number one, right? <laughs> which is you can't even see it. That's how bad it is. Always worrying. <laughs> and, and so, so the, 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 the reason that was so, that key was kind of key is I, I really respected with hindsight the courage it took for the guy 
to sit down and go, who, by the way, had hired me, had mentored me, had coached. He didn't want to see me fail. And he had a tough job to do, but he sat me down, didn't mince his words, and socked it to me black and white. We're going to have to do something about this. And, I, and rather than hate him for it, I actually respected him for it. And, um, and actually just talking about it, I might, subsequent to this call, I might go and reach out to him afterwards. I'm not sure I've ever told the person this. But it was, it was, really, sure. a, it was really an important moment. And, and so it gave, me, it gave me some insight as to what it takes to be a courageous leader. Is the first point and the second is you you need to know yourself and be able to control yourself um, in those moments because those are emotional moments right you know hey marco you're really messing this up how do you not get emotional and take that as a kind of a personal thing but you're in a work environment and and you really can't react in a personal way um you, you know you need to be able to control your emotions in that moment and i kind of learned learn that the hard way as well, kind of really important to swallow it, digest it, and just always be professional. As much as it, you kind of want to release, just be mindful about how you release. So kind of two, two, two key uh, pivotal moments there, kind of uh, someone showing me this is how you are a courageous leader. Number two, just swallowing. Sometimes you aren't doing things right. You need to reflect on that, adapt to it, and react to it in the right way. You know, so... Um, yeah, so and there's that's you know there's a few times where I, I failed, but that, you know the first time that happens in a big way, it, it's impactful on you. Uh, it's great. You, up to you as how to you, how you swallow that. Yes, indeed. But it's great to hear it, and I, I'm I'm always fascinated by uh, by the people that um, that people have been influenced by. So it's always really interesting to hear. Um, we, we talked a bit about you know, your. Um, you know, sort of thoughts on what you wish been told earlier and influences and so on. Um, but I was also curious to know whether there's one specific piece of advice that you could single out as the best piece of advice that you've ever been given. Yeah, um, this was a pretty easy one for me. Um, again, I've been really kind of lucky with, with bosses I've had. There's been one one of my recent bosses who turned around to me and said, you've really got to back yourself. And it was, a, it was kind of a throwaway comment, but it kind of wasn't because it was in this context. He, he, was, uh, he was going through, we'd, we'd just gone through a, a certain period in, in the workplace. It hadn't worked out. And he was being told something by kind of senior leadership that didn't fly for him. And he had two choices, right? He either swallowed it and kind of went, yeah, I, I don't agree with that, but okay, I'll stay. Or you say, no, that's against, a matter of principle, I'm leaving. And it takes a lot of courage to do the latter, right? If you don't know where you're going to go. And, and so how do you build that courage? And you build it by having the confidence to say, I back myself. I know what I'm capable of. I know I'm going to be okay. I am, I am better off taking the tough decision and backing myself and jumping and preserving my values than staying and going the safe ground and laying awake every night going, what the hell have I done? I've compromised myself here. And, and it was profound. Um, and the guy knows who he is, who said it to me, a fantastic boss and who's now a good friend, who, who just turned around and said, you really, you got to back yourself. 
You've got to believe in yourself and you've got to back yourself. That's not to be arrogant. You know, that's a very fine line. Be careful. But what he really meant was be true to yourself, back yourself, have the confidence to do the right thing and you'll be okay. Mm. Um, and, and that's a really important, virtuous kind of thing to have said. I mean, it had profound, I've said it and I repeat it again and again, and I never claim it as my own, always, always, um, you know, give the quote to him, but it's a really powerful thing. It was just, it was a throwaway statement that said at an incredibly, you know, important time, and he stuck to his work, by the way, he did, he did back himself and did it. And it has a profound effect. And so I, and I, and I relay that again and again. Uh, um, it's super powerful words. Mm. I, I think sometimes people underestimate how powerful words can be mm. when they say them. You need to be very careful with those words uh, as you know, in a leadership <laughs> role. Um, so so yeah, what, use really what you say carefully, because when you do, it has a, it has a big impact. Yeah, uh, no. I hope he was right, because that's how I'm living. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Um, so let's um, let's just talk a little bit about the industry, um, because, you know, and, and in particular, you know, kind of content media and, and broadcast um, space. You know, we've seen huge changes over the last, you know, kind of five, ten years, especially. Um, and I wanted to just ask, you know, what excites you most about where the industry is headed? Well, look, um... When I joined in 98, Glowcast as it was, had just kind of been newly kind of created because it had merged with what was Maxat at the time and so on. So there was always huge buzz. But even back then, it was like, man, it's so fast changing and fiber is going to kind of kill satellite. And, and so our, our media, and look, and I come from a nerdy IT background where kind of the rules are, you know, kind of technology doubles in capability and halves in price by the second. And so kind of that method of change, that kind of environment of change has always been there. And, and you can look at it in two ways. It can petrify you because it kind of is always changing or it can excite you. Look, if you look at the media industry, I think there's only positivity there. Why do I say that? It's because if you look at the macro trends, the amount of content creation is growing and the amount of consumption is growing. That is a good ecosystem and a good playground to be in, full stop. Mm -hmm. Okay, now, are you in the right place? Are you in a place that's being disrupted in changing? Are you in a growth area? Possibly. That ecosystem is always, in, always changing and, and you know, who knows where that goes you know, trends, if you've got a crystal ball and you can tell me, John, what, what the media landscape looks like in five or 10 years, go ahead and tell me, because it's a really tricky thing to do. You know, there are certain macro trends that are happening, you know, in terms of, you know, pay TV and satellite usage is in decline where kind of OTT mobile consumption is going up, but watch out, you're going to place your bets on Netflix and the zone, you know, they've had some challenging kind of news stories in, in recent events, in recent moments. So really difficult to predict it. What I really enjoy is it's always changing. And, and that presents, as much as it presents challenges, it presents opportunities. And, and so it's really great because it means that you've always got to be thinking, well, what do we do next? You know, where is the opportunity? And it takes a lot of energy and enthusiasm to keep doing that, particularly when you're constantly dealing with challenges and fires, as we have been in the last few years with kind of the COVID situation and so on. So, but I think you've got to take, in, you know, courage from the fact our media industry is growing in content creation and in demand. Therein lies great opportunity, it has to be. It means there's opportunity and the cake is getting bigger. There's more cake being made and more being eaten, which means therein lies opportunity for all of us. 
And I think that, that's where you get your energy from is how do we go and find out the best ways to take what we've got in our current you know, businesses and in our teams and how do you maximize that to go and create the opportunity to leverage or what, where are we right now and how do we pivot to make that the right place that puts us in what we think is gonna be the right place as the media landscape continues to evolve because it won't stop guaranteed that's the only the only guarantee uh, yes that is the only constant yes the only constant is that there will be constant change exactly that yeah very much so no it's i i've yeah i haven't been in the industry as as long as you probably sort of 13 14 years but i'm i'm amazed at the change and i and i think if if anything the pace of change feels like it's increased um you know, I feel like there was a few years of IBCs where things felt a bit a bit stale. There wasn't a huge amount no. new being shown and so on and so forth. But the last few years has felt like there's been some real fundamental shifts yeah, I agree. In, in, in what the technology can do and, and in consumption behaviours of consumers, which um, yeah. which is fascinating for the future. Um, so bringing it back to your um, experiences, uh, I'd love to know what types of things have constantly kept you awake at night. Uh, well, look, kind of when you're in a, the media industry, and particularly if you look at my career, I've always been in the service provision kind of sector, which means, you know, providing services to, to companies that are, you know, looking for them to ultimately outsource responsibility and capability to another party and and therein lies a million challenges every day of you know you know things going wrong it's why you have this constant chat about main and backup and a and b chains and and all of this that's common language in our industry and so if any of that keeps you awake at night then you're in the wrong industry frankly because stuff goes wrong and that's why we're here we deal with that we put in safeguards to deal with it and we cope with things that are unexpected so that that doesn't typically keep me awake john what 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 I found in my career keeps me awake is not those kind of challenges or things going wrong. It's things that challenge the very fabric of kind of your values and your morals. Uh, and let me give you an example of that. As, as a leader, you often have to make tough decisions, right? And that's just par for the course. And that's just the way the industry and business is. So sometimes you have to make restructuring decisions, you know, decisions that impact people's lives. And you mustn't ever take those lightly. You know, you can you can desensitize them by saying it's just business. But, you know, when you're making those changes, you're impacting people's lives. You have to go home and maybe don't have a job anymore. So 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 those keep me awake in that I really have to reflect carefully around them. And I think that's right. And, and the other thing that keeps me awake is like, as a as somebody who's got the responsibility of leading an organization, it's my job to make sure that we are performing, which means I have to really demand a lot of the team and i've been always super lucky to work with brilliant people or lead brilliant people who really step up to that challenge question is when do you push someone too far there's no right or wrong answer to that john and so when you lay awake at night is when you kind of think damn have i overstepped my mark here you know there are business demands and i've got a few examples in my head you know we had to move when i was at encompass we had to move the facility as part of a deal that we did from, from central London, where we were in Fitzrovia, in Stephen Street, um, that iconic building, we'd been there for years, huge kind of, you know, historic significance to the business. And we were relocating new chapter, moving that out to, to just outside Chiswick Park. 
uh, outside Gunnersbury tube station. And, and it was hugely challenging in a million ways. No problems with that. Didn't keep me awake because I enjoyed the challenge of it. But we had tight timescales, tight budget. I mean, it was just intense. And I found myself several times laying awake going, I know I am absolutely on the limit, maybe even over the limit, hence laying awake about what I'm asking people to do here in terms of just demanding such incredible workloads and pressure from them and asking them to absorb so much. That keeps you awake at night as a leader. Uh, and, and frankly, rightly so, because, you know, as I've got two responsibilities as a leader in this business, you know, deliver what the shareholders need in terms of performance and objectives and ultimately, you know, profitability and, and, and deliver the goals. But the second is to keep the workforce safe. You know, I've got an obligation to do those two things and one or the other doesn't take precedence. You kind of have to give both of them 100% attention. And so that's a very long-winded answer, but it's important to, that you are, that I answer that carefully because it's about you've got to live by doing the right thing every single day and and you only put your head on your pillow and sleep well if you never go against your morals and and you will lose you will lose at least sleep if you don't if you don't live by that mm. yeah completely agree and very very good advice um <clears throat> the next one um you know lots of people that i speak with can pinpoint a variety of different reasons why they've had successes um some by design sometimes some not um, but I'm also always really curious to know whether people can identify yeah, a single thread that has run through their career that they know has always led to successful outcomes. Um, yeah, um, on the intro, you kind of said, is it kind of talent or ambition? And, and my answer was ambition. Um, like I, I, I'm very rarely the smartest person in the room. I'm not stupid, but at the same time, I don't have some magical power or some magical talent that no one else has. I'm not that naive at all. I'm often surrounded by exceptionally more talented and brighter people. And as a leader, you need to do that. So it's a good thing to do. But there's some ingredients that I picked up certainly from my parents who are kind of immigrants into Italy, into the UK back in the late 50s when the UK was looking for labourers. Uh, and they came with two very simple kind of ingredients, which is kind of you work hard and you, you always do your best. Uh, and so throughout my career, and, you know, they ran a family business and as a kid, no choice. You had to go out and muck in and help out. And, and I had a mundane task of, so they, they used to, um, my father used to, mother and father had a business where they used to grow cucumbers to supply supermarkets. So it's a small family run business and we all used to muck in. My, my job uh, was to make the boxes, cardboard boxes that came flat packed. You had to make the containers into which they went. And if, if you ever say, well, what's the most boring job, soul-destroying job on the planet, I can tell you what it is because I've done it. It's making boxes for cucumbers. <laughs> and and, and they, they used to come in packs of 50. Uh, John, I remember it vividly. They used to come in packs of 50 and you used to have to make hundreds of these things. Oh. And it was, there was no choice. You just had to do it. And so... Did you at least have was, a stopwatch so you could time? Was, yeah, and you used to kind of, you know, you used to put music <laughs> on, you used to kind of set yourself challenges. Kind of, can I do this this pack quicker than that? And and and, but I tell you something, it's your wax on, wax off moment because I, in those moments, learn 
you you just need to be determined and have the stamina to carry on. And, and I've carried that on through my life. I, I think it, I'm not talented in any particular way, but I, where I do have, I think, maybe kind of stronger needle readings than others is I've got incredible staying power and determination, mm. um, which, you know, you need in business, um, particularly, you know, doing kind of tricky jobs as we do in our, in our media sphere. You need a certain amount of that. And that, for me, has been, without a doubt, kind of a really important defining couple of uh, ingredients in the in in my career without a doubt determination and and, and stamina I would say are the two keywords that's brilliant I uh, I love that uh so uh before we have our final question just a couple of a uh, couple of quick fire questions to let people uh, know just a little bit more about you Far away. Uh, so if you could live anywhere in the world where would it be well, that's a contentious question, right? Because I tried to lobby my family to move over to Geneva and failed. <laughs> I should say Geneva, but I suspect the family might listen to this. Um, I, I think somewhere on the coast uh, is the truth. Uh, with Italian kind of parents, I guess that would be an obvious answer. But like, I've been really lucky. Um, I've travelled around the world. I love Asia. Um, I, I think my, my easy answer would be on a beach somewhere. You can pick the location. On a beach with nice sunshine. All right, very good. Pick the venue. Very good, very good, and uh, and and potentially a similar one, um, although possibly more contentious. Who knows? Uh, what is your and/or your family's favourite uh, holiday? Oh, um, am I allowed to? We love yes. skiing. We're not particularly brilliant skiers, but we love a skiing holiday. Real good fun out in the mountains. Bit of exercise. It's got all the ingredients of uh, of great. At the same time, we've done some pretty brilliant exotic holidays um and so we really enjoyed one in particular where we went to Borneo and then took a boat over to what they call Turtle Island it's a tiny little island I mean you remember when you were a kid and you draw an island and literally a bit of sand and a tree I mean it felt like you, we took a boat for pretty much two hours out to, to that drawing and uh, there's like 25 or so huts two people per hut that's your lot that's everyone on the island and you stay there for the night, and at night in come giant turtles onto the beach, and you go out and you watch them lay the eggs. It is, it was really, you felt so isolated out on, out in in the sea in the middle of nowhere. It was really humbling, just down to earth. And here are these magical creatures that come. Definitely one of kind of key highlights of family holiday for us. We've had some brilliant holidays, I have to say. So. Difficult to pick, but skiing definitely and that trip to Borneo and Turtle Island was really quite special. That sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. Uh, and uh, what makes you laugh the most? Oh, uh, a bit of slapstick comedy, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I grew up. I grew up with kind of uh, in the in kind of Tom and Jerry uh, yeah. era. So you know, kind of ironing boards, kind of almost decapitating Tom. Yeah, gets me chuckling every time. <laughs> very good very good uh keeping it content related what was the last movie that you watched top gun and the original not the new oh, one the original okay. don't tell me because i've not watched it yet <laughs> same <laughs> <laughs> i've not watched it yet but uh yeah the the original top gun which we, watched with, uh, we which we watched with my son who was a who was about to go and watch with his friends the new Top Gun. I was like, you can't go got to it. the new Top Gun. Yeah, got to be in the old Top Gun. Sit yourself down. Sit yourself down, and, and let's let's show you how it's done. <laughs> Very good. Um, and what is your favourite game or sport to watch or play? 
I'm not really that sporty. Um, the one and only sport I do is cycling. Um, and that's because I got roped into it uh, by mistake. Uh, I did a charity event a few years back uh, and kind of got a bit of a bug for it and then realized that I didn't have to take the tube when it was hot and sweltery anymore. I could cycle into London. Um, so I love cycling uh, and I've kind of become quite passionate about that. I've got the physique everyone keeps telling me of a cyclist, which is really annoying because I because <laughs> I think that what they mean is you should be really good at cycling and I really am not. So um, but I, I'm sticking with it, you know, and be, I got the determination and stamina, even in cycling. Um, and But what do I love to watch? I really like the big, big, big events, uh, Olympics, uh, World Cup, Soccer World Cup really really kind of the big because that's where magical stories come out um, and I kind of take me back to childhood of you know kind of watching those big big screen moments with lots of friends and family so I'd have to say big sports events for doing it and cycling uh, for, for watching and cycling for doing all right very good and uh, and the last one if you could only eat one meal for the rest of your life what would it be Mama Tinarello's lasagna no brainer <laughs> As anyone I was really hoping it was going to be something say. Italian and family related. You know what I mean? <laughs> what Italian son would ever say anything other than that? But it's true. Mama T's lasagna. There's nothing better on the planet. I guarantee it. Oh, sounds delicious. I'd love to try it. Uh, very good. So that brings us to our final um, question, Marco. And that is, one bit of what one bit of advice do you always give to others? Uh I'm going to pass on what I said was given to me, um, which is well, I've got two pieces of advice. Number one is back yourself. Never go against your morals, never go against your values, really back yourself and stand by who you are and never let anything compromise that as the first. And the second is um, under no circumstances ever let the risk of failure limit you. Failing is just part of the journey. You have to accept that. I mean, if you went back to being a kid and went, well, I'll start walking. And after falling over a few times, you never walked. We wouldn't have got very far. Well, that's how it is throughout that journey of life. I don't know why we ever stop realizing it's okay to stumble and fall over. So just remind yourself it's okay to do that as part of the journey. So back yourself and have the determination to keep going and failure is okay. Brilliant. Listen, thank you so much for your time, Marco. Um, it's real been pleasure. brilliant to hear all your thoughts and insight, and it's been a it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very well, much. Listen, a, a real honour. I really enjoy your podcast. We'll continue listening, and uh, it's been a pleasure to participate. Thanks very much for, for inviting me. Thanks again, Marco. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, please do subscribe and give us a rating. It really helps these stories to be found and enjoyed by more. For more information about Nuco Global Executive Search, we can be found at executive.nuco-group.com. That's executive.neuco-group.com.